welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to do something new. We're going to go through our Strength Coach Chronicles. We're going to now retroactively go all the way back down to our first blog post we did in January of 2021, and we're going to start to add in my take from a podcast perspective to those chronicles. And we got a bunch of them, so it's going to take some time, but we're going to add some commentary to these posts. And what I want you to do as a listener is to go to the blog, read through it. Read through it, listen to this. It'll be synced up on the blog post, so you can listen and then read, or read and listen, and you can get the full experience. And this is gonna be a op-ed, or my opinion, on everything strength conditioning coaches incur. So, lot to unpack. This first one is when you should ask for a raise as a strength coach, and it's gonna be talking from first-hand experience and things that I've learned or done. It's talking about my personal anecdotes and things that have happened to me in my career. Going through my insecurities for asking a raise, going through the things I've learned the hard way, the mistakes I've made, the mistakes I've made with people I employ, all the night. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. I hope you guys enjoy this series. I think this is going to bring a little bit more commentary and the value you're going to get from our curriculum, which is a, just 10x the all these blog posts. It's a lot more in depth. It goes a lot more into the specifics. It goes through principles, practical case study, interview with a strength coach, and then a journaling section where you can go through all that stuff as well as references where you can dive a little bit deeper into that subject. So a ton to unpack, a ton to work through. I just want you guys to know that we're gonna keep bringing in high value to you guys, and I'm right there with you. I'm gonna be there through every step of the way, through our forum, on our curriculum. So whatever you guys need, we're gonna be there for you. Also too, check out realize.me. This is your command center for all health and wellness performance. I use this as my dashboard where I create experiments, I pull labs, get discounts on supplements. Tremendous platform, realize.me. Finally, we have two big things we have going on. Our Strength Deficit book, available for purchase at strengthdeficit.com, as well as Amazon, and then our Practical Guide to Strength Deficit course. This is a two-part, really value, valuable thing for you as a strength coach. It's a framework. It's how to leverage eccentric versus concentric ratios within a team environment. Huge, huge resource. Just a ton. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Incredible book. One of the best books I've read in 2022, if not the best book in strength conditioning I've ever read. The course is only going to be better. So get on Strength Deficit. Get that book. Get that course. Really high value there for you as a user. All right. Without further ado, let's hit this Strength Coach Chronicle going through when you should ask for a raise. And as well, head over to phpodcast.com to go through the blogs. This one will be our first one of many. So this is an important one, one that, quite frankly, I feel like in our industry, which we perceive ourselves to not have a lot of leverage, to perceive ourselves to not have a lot of opportunity for upward mobility, asking for a raise from a superior is something that I don't think we go over enough or we go over, quite frankly, how to do it. So one of the things that I want to go through with this with this series and retroactively looking through all of our blogs is to give some sort of visual or some sort of auditory commentary on the co- topics that we're talking about within the, the Strength Coach Chronicles. Uh, and when you're thinking about these topics, they're just random thoughts that are coming to my mind, stuff that I've come across in my profession, some of, th- some of the stuff that I come across with my staff, some of the things that I'm thinking about 
and want to put down on paper. And when I'm thinking about Strength Coach Chronicles, these are the things that we're incurring on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. These are the things that our inner thoughts, our subconscious, our insecurities, our idiosyncratic things that make us great, but also make us really vulnerable to potentially not having more within our environment. You know, and I'm gonna go through a lot of topics and commentary, but these are all my opinions, these are my op-eds, these are what I think about when I'm thinking about this question. So the first one we're gonna go through is when you should ask for a raise. And in the blog post, I talked about, you're gonna ask for a raise for two reasons. One, you're bringing enough redeemable value to garner a raise, and that has to be objective. I'm gonna go through what that means. Or two, you have leverage to garner a raise, right? So opening up with this redeemable value. Working hard or working long isn't redeemable value. It's not. No one knows or no one cares that you're the first one there or the last one to leave. No one knows or no one cares that you're working with 10 different sports and having your ass on the, on the floor all day, grinding sun up to sun down, doing whatever it takes, jogging over to the facility to do a movement prep for the team that you're working with, coming back to the weight room, covering a lift, doing a makeup lift, doing punishments, doing breakfast check, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. No one cares. No one's keeping a tally on all the stuff that you're doing. That's not redeemable value, right? When we're looking at it from this object, objective analysis, you have to look at it. If you were not there, could they replace you? And a large part, if it's only working long or working hard, they can replace that. They can absolutely replace that. Think about this comparable. A grocery store has a self-checkout line. In all actuality, the self-checkout line, barring shoplifting, is probably as effective in working long and hard as the person that's paid hourly right across the next aisle. And you can take that as, all right, there's a, a machine couldn't do what I'm doing. Well, could it, like, you know, we're seeing a lot of fitness concepts out there just literally put a screen up on the board with demonstrations remotely or in person that is in all intents and purposes saying they're doing the job that a qualified strength conditioning coach can do. So if we're thinking about it, when a paying customer is willing to pay a screen with someone they'll never meet to train them, comparatively speaking to a qualified professional that has the ability to navigate all of the complexity human body has, all of the complexity an environment and training has, all of the nuance that goes into performance enhancement, you have to have more to the table than just working hard. You have to bring more to that conversation other than, do you know how hard I work? Do you know how much I put in for this? That is replaceable. That is replaceable more than you will ever know. And it's not diminishing the value of that hard work. It's not saying that that's not noble and good, but just in the eyes of your administrator who has to decide where they allocate money, and quite frankly, they're allocating money either to you or themselves. And they have to say, is this more of an inconvenience to lose this person, to replace this person, to try to bring equal value that this person brings? I'm gonna just give them the money that they're asking for versus it's really kind of not that much of a big deal. 
There's plenty of people who want your job. There's plenty of people who will work the long hours and minimal compensation and minimal actual re reward from what you're doing. There's plenty of people who do that. We have resumes a mile high. So what goes into this next level of how do you show redeemable value? One of the great conversations I had when I left Georgia Tech was grabbing any AD that would talk to me or just, hey, can I get a minute? No. Can I get a minute? No. One of them actually did. And she was fantastic. And I said, hey, I just, I need to know how you evaluate strength conditioning. Like, what is your perception of strength conditioning? She's like, I have no idea what's good or bad. I really don't. Like, you guys all talk a good game about how good you are. And I don't really know the difference. But I'll say this, when we have certain strength conditioning staffs, we pay a lot less for insurance premiums due to surgeries every year. So in my mind, if I'm spending less as an athletic department because we have something in place that prevents injuries and improves performance, and we go to bigger games and we get more payouts for those games and we have more people coming to our games because we have a better product because our best players are playing and they're playing at a higher level, then yeah, I can say that's good. That's objective. You know, you're thinking about it from, okay, do you have a lot of season ending surgeries, right? Is January riddled with a bunch of guys on the IR who have to go ahead and go through surgery from January and then the rehab all the way through till the following June, July? How are you gonna make any change with that person if you can only train half or three quarters of their body? How are you gonna make any substantial improvements year over year with that athlete if you're constantly coming back down to net zero. So regardless, you cost some school money because we have these maybe potentially preventable injuries that are leading off-season surgery. You don't have the opportunity to improve performance and you can't show that objectively, right? So if you believe in doing KPI testing of like sprinting, jumping, throwing, or if you have some sort of performance testing in the weight room, if you have some sort of thing like strength deficit, which we talk about improving for certain qualities like RSI versus impulse, or a counter movement versus non counter movement jump, you have no, no ability to change what actually is necessary to improve that. So when you're showing your value and the team's improved and you have nothing objectively from your end to go, we actually bring a lot of value here. You know, maybe you have the ability to go to your athletes and say, Hey, I, I want your support because I really need to be able to make a living. And granted, it might come off as you're asking the wrong person because I'm struggling to make ends meet as well, being a struggling college athlete. But if you can't get the rapport or the approval from your athletes, how are you going to get it from your coaches or your administrator? So when we're talking about objective value, we're talking about things that you can quantify, things that you can actually go to your administrator and saying, Hey, if I leave, you're gonna have a hard time replacing this. Here's the value. We can go into this quantifiable value that we've increased, we've increased resiliency and we've decreased surgeries at the end of every single year, year over year, relatively speaking to our predecessors. We've saved the school half a million dollars. We saved school a million dollars just from having better practice. All I'm asking for is a 10 grand raise. I'm looking for a 5% raise. Awesome. No problem. We'll gladly accommodate that. You know, maybe you look at it from, we've improved our team's performance. My value is directly tied into that team's performance. Great. You know, one of the other areas we talked about when I was at Army, my assistant came up to me, Darren Musa, and he said, do you know we've lost the fourth quarter the past two years? 200 and something to uh, 50? Like we were, it was 25% or 75% different margins 
in terms of scoring in the fourth quarter. And we're supposed to be this physically tough team that finishes games. That we're supposed to be this robust team that can go out there and get the job done regardless of the circumstance. Rain, snow, sleet, water, air, it doesn't matter. We'll go out there and get the job done. We are the military. But we're getting destroyed in the fourth quarter. It could be fitness, could be toughness, could be execution, could be all of the above. So let's create a program to reverse engineer it, to put our guys in challenging cognitive situations, challenging physical situations, challenging challenging them, right? And I remember we had this moment, we're doing this, we're in the, uh, July and we're doing a four quarter agility circuit and the idea is it's all accountability based, right? So it's four stations, offense splits with defense, we have definitive standards, right? So we're gonna go out there and touch a line, get around a cone, finish through a line as the clear objective, did you or did you not? Did you, great, move on to the next rep. Did not, we'll repeat that rep. We have 40 reps. Whether we do 100 reps is contingent upon our level of execution. And it's always the same story. First week of July, awful, 30, 40 callbacks. Second week of July, a little bit better. Third week, a little bit better. Fourth week, we wanna be perfect. <coughs> and we don't want to sit there and say that we're going to give it to them. We don't want to sit there and say that we're we're going to just try to say that we had this morale boost. And even if they didn't touch a line or didn't get around a cone, like we try to make it as explicit as possible. Did you or did you not? And we're not going to give you anything. We're going to go out there and air it. And our coach, our head coach, would come out to stuff periodically and look at stuff. He would be out there the first Tuesday and he'd come up to me and he's like, this is bad, Tim. This is really bad. How are we going to prove this? Great question, coach. We're going to get down to business and we're going to coach our guys harder and we're going to get our guys doing things at a higher level and we're going to challenge them. So the next week we're out there and you know our senior is a great leader, great captain, great, great player, just started absolutely just dog cussing the rest of his teammates out and telling them, stop fucking up, stop messing up, stop doing this. Well, that was a really good moment for me because I addressed him. I was like, hey, how about you be a leader right now and stop saying don't do things and start telling them how to do it. Obviously, they don't want to hit the cone. Obviously, they want to hit the line. Obviously, they want to finish through the line. Stop telling them what they're doing wrong and start telling them how to do it right. And he got pissed and he went right up to me and said, who the fuck are you? And I'm like, I'm the fucking head strength coach. I'm the guy who's going to get you to point B. And right now, you're not a leader. You're just someone who's bitching to get out of stuff because you don't want to do an extra rep. You're not leading. You're just trying to tell people to fix things without giving them any feedback. Be a leader. Be a person of conviction. You can actually be the person people can lean on when it's hard. And man, after that, everything just kind of tightened up. That guy started going to that back of the line and getting right behind the freshman that was struggling or getting with that guy who was in really poor condition or the guy who just bad athlete, running, bites eye him, screaming at him, touch the line, finish. And I remember my head coach came up to me afterwards. He's like, that was one of the more impressive sessions I've ever seen in my life. There was conflict. There was engagement. There was a follow through. There was challenging situations. And next week, improved even more. The third, fourth week, we improved even more. And at the end, you know, my boss goes to me, why don't we do this for match drills in the winter? Why don't we do this year round? I was like, because it loses its luster. We only have a certain window of opportunity. But what really we can see is 
our level of preparedness going into preseason. If we can knock out 30, 40 perfect agilities, if we can put our guys in situations where they have to be challenged not only to themselves, to others, we're more prepared for preseason. So they can be coached harder. They can be coached more directly. They can take feedback. They can take criticism. Everyone from our captain down to that freshman. Everyone from our starters down to the fourth string. Everybody, myself included, is open to criticism and feedback. And that senior came up to me after that session. He's like, I don't like the way you talk to me in front of people. I appreciate it if you don't address me like that in front of my teammates. I'm having a whole report. I was like, I appreciate your feedback. But right now, in that moment, you weren't a great leader. And you needed that feedback more than anybody. Because just telling people what they're doing wrong would be equivalent of me saying the same thing. Stop not touching line. Stop hitting the cone. Stop not finishing. That's not direction. That's just telling people what not to do. I was very clear among the expectations at the beginning of those agility sessions. And at the end of that agility session, did we or did we not? And here's how we're going to improve upon it. We got out there the next Thursday working multi-directional speed, talking about when we're transitioning, doing a harder cut greater than 90 degrees, or when we're trying to transition and go another direction, or if we have a sudden change and we're, we're tired, how are we going to respond to that situation? You know, these are the things that I don't think many people really have the awareness in the moment that we're doing that's so critical for performance transfer, dynamic correspondence. But you're also on a show. Your coach is watching you. Your teammates or your, your staff is watching you. You rising to the occasion determines whether when you go to the end of that offseason, like, hey, by the way, I think I deserve more. Right? And you leverage that. And you show that because you bring redeemable value. You know, one of the things my boss asked me in Army was, I want our guys to be tough, physical, and trained. Pretty nebulous, pretty nondescript. Okay, what's we'll define toughness? Okay, let's talk about that moment in the agility session where they were screwing up and they had to respond. Let's talk about physical. Okay, when we're doing things, there's a certain level of effort, intensity, and focus towards it. Train means that they know the rules, they know the standards, and if they don't hit the standard, they're not doing what we need to do. Okay, check, 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 we did it. Everything you asked me to do, I did. And we've improved incrementally every single year. We've hit these benchmarks as a team between beating Navy and getting to a bowl game. We've set the precedent. Okay, now I have redeemable value. And I think this is true for everyone's situation wherever they're at. And sometimes it's hard to go in after a, a subpar season, right? You know, my, my third year at USC, we were ranked number one. We were preseason number one. We ended up finishing seven and six, playing in the Sun Bowl. For all intents and purposes, it was a failure of a year. Not a great year to ask for a race. Really not. No one's eating at that point because people are getting fired. So you got to read the room and you got to understand, although I'm bringing value, it didn't manifest into bringing more for the department or the school or the team that everyone is now struggling to think if they're actually going to maintain their job. So having an awareness of that really matters. The other one, and this is something that I think is a taboo conversation in a lot of ways, but having leverage, leveraging other positions and jobs. You know, when you go to your coach saying, hey, I got an offer to go someone else, the first thing they said is, why are you not happy here? And if you want to leave, leave. That's the first thought that comes to their mind. I got another opportunity. You know, I just want to see what, what the potential is to have a counter here. <coughs> and I think there's a good rule in business. There's a really good rule in business that you never accept the counter. 
that if they come back and match what you were going to get from somewhere else, you have to go. You can't, you can't call their bluff. You got to go. And this is such an important thing to know because when you think you're trying to leverage a school you're at, what you do is essentially create resentment and harbor a grudge that you didn't earn it. That you just basically propositioned them and said, hey, I think that I am more valuable than I am and this school will, is willing to pay me that, but I want to stay here and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt to actually suddenly value me. And it goes into this whole other systemic thing. Did you ask for a raise before and you just kind of blindside them with, I got another opportunity. Were you afraid to ask the raise and go about it with, hey, I'm going to try to go and, uh, you know, get something, get something that I want elsewhere. You know, the whole grass is a greener kind of thing. You know, and I would make this a metaphor of, you know, hey, I'm not getting what I want for my marriage, so I'm going to go cheat on my wife. And then if that woman wants to be with me, then I'm going to go out there and marry her and divorce my wife after the fact. Is that fair to her? Is that fair to them? That's cowardice. You know, that's looking at this from the level of, I never confronted the issues. I never said, hey, I, I want to have this within our marriage or this within our conversation. The same thing with the job. If I go to my job and saying, hey, I want more compensation, I am bringing this redeemable value, and they say no, then I think you're within your right to say, well, I got to pursue opportunities that might pay me that or might give me what my value is and actually appreciate the services that I'm doing. But if you never address it, if you never ask them, if you never confront them and you just kind of go around them and try to say, okay, well, I'm going to get mine elsewhere and not have a conversation beforehand and try to remedy or rectify any of the situations that you're lowly compensated at the current job, then you're going to be in this compromised situation of always chasing the proverbial dragon. Because when you do tell that coach or that administrator that you have another opportunity, you're going to be in the precarious spot of creating a rift right then and there that they now don't trust you that they don't think that you're trying to proposition them to do something they're not ready to do or want to do they might not even know that you were unhappy or didn't wanted more money they might have just thought that you were content and then the other part which is scary this is really scary is what if they say that's great for you you should go they give you a handshake and say that's a that's good for you that means they don't think you're that good. That means they think you're very replaceable. That means they look at you as an asset that's only justifying a means. It's good to tell recruits that we have a strength conditioning coach. It's good to say that we have this person at the helm based off their pedigree or whatever their intangibles they have. Like he's worked with this coach for years. They're not looking at it the same way you are. You're hoping that they're sending you a lifeline. You're hoping that they come back and say, I actually value you and we can't lose you. But they're not. They don't value you because if they did, they would have given you more. But you never asked for it, so why would they? So the leveraging thing is really challenging because it's a really difficult situation to come back and take a counter or not being valued to the level that you thought you were. And then you have to depart because, all right, well, here we go. So once you make that commitment to look elsewhere, you have to make the commitment. But I would be remiss to say, you have to ask beforehand whether you think you can get more. And maybe it's a slow approach, a slow build. You talk to that senior administrator that you have a good rapport with, like, just want to get a you know, temperature check if I was going to ask for a raise, how would that be received? Or maybe you talk to your head coach and say, hey, look, like, 
I honestly, like, I think I'm bringing a lot of value here. And I'm talking about the injuries are down, performance is up. I have this objective measurements from KPI improvement. I have this improvement from the things that you directly asked me based off my job description and responsibilities. I think I've done an excellent job on that. My staff is phenomenal. My staff does a great job year over year that we're able to replace and get better with each incurring new staff. I think I'm deserving of more. You know, and when we talk about that conversation and building up to it, as opposed to, ah, fuck this, I'm just gonna go out there and find a place that will appreciate me and try to get more money. And then when I'm presented to my head coach or my administrator, you know, this almost feeling of like, well, look at me, they value me. Well, I didn't know you didn't feel valued. These are the things that, as we start to look at our profession and our industry and the way we traverse, you know, athletic departments, it's having the courage or having the awareness or having the skill to talk about what do you want? How can you improve it? And how, why do you deserve it, right? If you're bringing more resources and revenues to the school, whether it's directly or indirectly, you can show that you should deserve more money. Your value is tied into what you bring. And then on the other end, if you're not getting yours, okay. You know, sometimes it's a matter of diversifying and getting out there and adding more revenue streams in, whether it's personal training or online training or online curriculums like I'm doing here. Like going out there and earning for yourself on top of your primary job, as long as it's not sacrificing that job. And you kind of have this balance between, okay, look, you know, they're, they're, I want to be here. I really like the, the program. I like where I live. My family likes it here. On the other end, you know, it's resources are meager. They're not going to be able to give you a whole lot. Um, I'll, I'll keep asking, but, you know, on the other end, you probably have very low expectation I'm going to get it. So I'm going to find other means to bring in revenue for myself to provide for me or my family. I don't think there's a problem with that whatsoever. But if you never ask, if you never have the conversation, if you just walk around and kind of internalize this and just get frustrated and constantly looking on on some sort of dashboard or frame or, or message board on what jobs are available and just throwing your name in the mix for every job that comes up that potentially might pay more, then okay, then I think you're constantly always gonna be chasing your tail and you're always gonna be that. And then you have this person with 40 different jobs on your resume and you're gonna have to be selective because it looks bad over time. And then you start to ask like, they start to ask your future employer, like, well, why, are you, why are you constantly jumping? And, you know, well, maybe places don't value because you're not that valuable. Or maybe places don't value because you don't think you're valuable. You should ask more before you start to think about elsewhere. And if they tell you no, they tell you, ah, we don't see it. Maybe you gotta evaluate, one, if you're bringing the value that you should be bringing, or two, that you're presenting in the way that that person actually values. Right? Remember that AD saying, I don't know what's good or bad. I just know that we pay less for certain strength coaches than others. That we're costing the school less. So if I pay a, coach, a strength coach two times as much, but I save 4X that about in terms of insurance, that seems to be good math. Seems to be justifiable. Okay, great. But they're not, they don't have to spend more. I'm a business owner. If I don't have to spend more, I don't want to. In fact, I want to save money as much as I possibly can. I can do that by working more. I can do that by, by trying to figure out more creative ways to cut costs. And I think from my perspective, being a coach, working with coaches, having the ability to have some sort of influence on what we pay coaches, it's always going to default to paying as much as we possibly can without going broke. But the same token, too, it's always kind of teetering toward that line of, 
it is a business and we are in the green. We are positive in terms of revenue. So always looking at it, when I'm paying coaches more, it's an investment to make more. How are we gonna do that? Explain to me, I wanna know how this investment into you is gonna manifest into increasing profitability down the road. And when we know we have coaches stay longer, we know we have coaches feeling better about the work environment, members stay longer, mem more members sign up, great, awesome. I can say unequivocally, investing into our coaches is a smart thing. Maybe it's how you to invest in the quality of the weight room. Maybe we need to invest in amenities. Okay, well, that's not going to come in your coach's pocket, but that's going to improve the experience. But that's where it's going to bring the business more value. And pushing away from the narrative that coaches are incredibly valuable as long as they're bringing value. That a screen can't replicate what a coach can do from the feel, the touch, the actual being in that situation and looking at this complex environment saying, I need to make a rapid decision like a computer based off all the variables around me and providing a high quality service and we don't have to water down a program because if it was delivered through a screen, that means it has to be delivered to the, to the lowest common denominator in the room, the person with the worst technique and the least experience of poorest awareness versus us, we can talk to the highest person in the room directly and we can address the person that's inexperienced, low ability or poor awareness on a more one-on-one -on -one basis. But that's the beauty of what we have. I just need to show that. I need to demonstrate that to my investors, my my partners. I need to do that on a level that's compelling and interesting. They go, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. Let's, let's put more money back into that. And the same thing goes for everything, right? Like if I want more form, new updated equipment, if I want new equipment, if I want more tech or sports science, how is that gonna bring us more value? Go walk me through the math on that. All right, so a lot to unpack here. Again, go to the blog. It's gonna be featured on our website, phpodcast.com. Uh, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the blogs, they have it there. I'll put a link in the a link in uh, the on the webs on the actual uh, podcast notes as well as when I post it on social, you'll see it right there. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys as always. Get on the curriculum. We have a whole coaching curriculum and course where we go everything through quality control all the way down to high performance model. You know, there's 11 modules, 12 modules on there that you can kind of start siphon through. I, it, this is facilitative to the greater overall curriculum. So get on that, learn more about how to become a better coach through our curriculum. I promise you it will be a quality experience that you will not look back on and say, damn, I regret this. And so I'm only gonna make you better. All right, guys, I appreciate everything and we'll see you next week.